Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 258 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here today to talk about everything that happened over the past week in the world of AEW and NXT, and wouldn't you know it, folks, it was a quite newsworthy week across uh, both brands. I was going to call them both promotions. They're not both promotions. AEW is a promotion. NXT is a brand. But we have plenty to get to on today's show ahead of what is going to be a stacked week here uh, in the Getting Over Universe next week as we preview and analyze the WWE Royal Rumble. Stay tuned at the end of today's episode for a full breakdown of what next week is going to look like all we are concerned about today on this episode, though, is AEW and NXT. So let me remind you right off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave us a review. Let people know how much you love this show. Tell them why they should listen why they should subscribe and what your favorite parts are. And remember, it's all about the five. Nothing else, just five-star ratings and reviews. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. I have been lacking in my live tweeting during, you know, the shows, the four major shows. Look, I kind of have just found it easier, especially when doing these recaps and analyzing and breaking things down to just start the shows late and use DVR to kind of catch up on commercials, and therefore, I haven't really been able to tweet live during the shows as much as I have in the past. But WrestleMania season is coming up. It's going to probably be more important, at least for the WWE product, to watch it live uh, ahead of, you know, as we're on this road. Who the hell knows what's going to happen at this point in WWE? It seems like anything can happen, and I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. Uh, I don't necessarily mean it in a bad way either. It's just I, I couldn't even tell you outside of the top like three matches, what WrestleMania is going to look like this year. I just, I have no idea at this point. So my point is, uh, we'll be more active on Twitter as we go, but it's also a great resource for you guys to send in questions, DMs and tweets for us to read on the show, send in comments as well. Um, you, you know, you guys go through waves. Sometimes you are all in and I can read 10 in one episode. Other times I kind of have to ask, right? And, and it's, you know, it really speaks to wrestling hitting peaks and valleys. And I think right now, we're in a little bit of a valley. We probably have been a little bit since the start of the new year. So with Royal Rumble coming up next week, let's get back to a, a peak. You guys send in those DMs, send in those tweets. And as long as they're not, uh, you know, strongly held thoughts that Chris and I have already shared. And a lot of times you guys tweet us things that you just agree with us. Um, we will certainly read them and answer them on the show. So again, tweet us at getting overcast. But let's get into today's show, where, as I said, we're going to talk all things AEW and NXT. And a brief overview, I just want to set the stage for you guys for both brands on today's show. Uh, I was not pleased with what I saw on television this week. And that really comes off of SmackDown and Raw not being pleased with what I saw across those shows either. Um, AEW is in some ways going in a strange direction. There were multiple short matches on the show. There were some storylines that are nonsensical, feuds that are just endless. Um, When the whole deal with AEW is they have such a large stacked roster that they don't need to be endless feuds, right? Meanwhile, on on NXT, we are going to get into the Walter becoming Gunther 
or Gunther, I don't know what they're going to call him exactly, uh, that controversy, uh, which is a major controversy. And I will explain my take on that and why the IWC, the internet wrestling community, has truly exhausted me uh, over this particular topic. Also, there is some stuff about uh, Saray that was concerning and problematic. And other than that, though, there was some good wrestling on the show. There was some good wrestling on both shows. So I'm going to I'm going to try to poke through with rays of sunshine here, but it is cloudy across AEW and NXT. At least it was for me over the last week. So I just wanted to be prepared to the stage for you guys regarding that. Also, one other reminder, uh, all of our episodes are timestamped. The WWE episodes, this episode, all the weekly episodes are timestamped. So if you only watch NXT or you only watch AEW, you can skip around the show. Just check the episode description, find the timestamp and bounce to it. But as always, I hope you listen to this entire show. Let's get started with AEW. Just since there's so much more to talk about, there usually is given it's three hours of programming versus two for NXT. And with NXT becoming really, truly developmental now, there's less generally important things to discuss with NXT. But we are going to get to NXT on today's show, trust me. And I am going to go off, uh, maybe in a way you don't expect initially, uh, on this Walter situation. So we'll get to all of that. But as I said, starting with AEW, and we're going to mix Dynamite and Rampage together just to kind of make sure storylines all you know flow in and out of our show here. Uh, we'll start with the opening of Dynamite, which was John Moxley making his return. First of all, he looked great, okay? Looked like he lost... 25 pounds, and he looked five or 10 years younger, at least in the face, which really puts into perspective what alcohol and or lifestyle or whatever was going on with him was doing to his body. So it was so great to see him not only be back, but look healthy. He looked like Dean Ambrose, you know, like the guy that we remember from WWE. That's what he looked like didn't really look like the John Moxley we've come to know over the last couple of years since leaving WWE. And in that sense, from a look standpoint, it was positive. He got a welcome back chant before some douchebag screamed out that he was a drunk piece of trash or something like that. So Mox, the first words he said coming back to AEW, and I quote, hey, go fuck yourself. Get that guy out of here, piece of shit. I popped for that huge. I mean, He definitely shouldn't have said it on freaking TBS of all places. That's a problem for Tony Khan. It's not a problem for me. I popped. Uh, The crowd was silent and hung on basically every word that Mox was saying in the ring. Mox said there was a black cloud over him. He said something about a demon and nobody making it out of life unscathed. Mox said he doesn't run from demons. He beats the shit out of him. He said he was going to go on a toured run and grab professional wrestling by the balls because now he's truly free and he's thirsty for blood. Was it a little convoluted in parts? Sure. But you can't really ask for more. The guy's coming back. He's He feels this release, his passion. He just wanted to go out there and, and share it with the world, and that's what he did. It was a great promo. It was a necessary way to start Dynamite. I'm obviously glad Mox is back. AEW just feels like a different product when Mox is around. And that intensity has largely been missing since he went into rehab. So glad he looks healthy, seemingly feels healthy, and I'm happy he's back on my television. That's the most important thing. On Rampage, Men of the Year cut a promo about why they're successful and others are not. Scorpio Sky noted that he hasn't been pinned in nearly 250 days and hasn't lost a singles match in more than 300 days. That's the shit I'm talking about here, right? That stuff is important, and I'm glad AEW goes ahead and notes those stats 
because they are important to the characters. Whereas WWE, we just talked about it this week with Damian Priest, just completely ignores them. They don't matter. They give people a pinfall loss when they haven't been pinned in a year, and they don't even mention it on TV. On Dynamite, the same guys were in the same setup. Uh, you know, Dan Lambert, Scorpio Sky, and Ethan Page. Page ran down his resume and said he's not running from Moxley, even though others will. So then AEW announced that that match is going to happen. I bring that up because I just wanted to tie it into Mox and get that out of the way. We will talk more about Dan Lambert in the show, trust me. On Rampage, Sean Spears fought Andrew Everett, or Everett, I should say. Uh, Spears caught the guy trying a springboard with a C4 for the win in one minute. Spears said a lot of stuff on the mic at CM Punk as the fans chanted for Wardlow. Spears basically said he's better than a one-move wonder referring to Wardlow because he's a 20-year veteran that will expose Punk. And this was all whatever. Like, you could tell Spears was trying to do an impactful promo. It just didn't really hit. On Dynamite, MJF said Punk took the easy way out by taking advantage of Wardlow, who probably would have reversed the pinfall attempt with more seasoning if he was more experienced. MJF then apologized to Wardlow for the way he acted last week, but docked his pay for putting his hands on MJF. Wardlow stared down MJF from behind, like over the rest of the promo, as MJF put over Spears ahead of his match with Punk. Punk also had a video saying MJF is running out of bodies to put in his way. So we got Punk versus Spears. MJF joined on commentary. The bell rang and Punk immediately hit Spears with the GTS to win in 11 seconds. I did use a stopwatch for that. Then he stared at MJF intently from the top rope. Uh, When Punk went to the opposite corner to celebrate, MJF ran in, Punk grabbed his scarf, MJF bailed and ran away. So they actually gave Spears a win over a jobber and then had him lose in 11 seconds to Punk. Like, this was perfectly fine, but I'm not going to tell you it was anything or that it was exciting because it wasn't. It was really kicking the can down the road, which is what they've been doing with Punk and MJF since the feud started because clearly they want to have the match at the upcoming pay-per-view, which I believe is Revolution. And that is still weeks and weeks away. So they're just delaying and delaying and delaying here. And it feels like every time MJF gets into a feud with someone, it's they, they start it as soon as they can and they make it last as long as they can. There's never breaks. There's never like side feuds or a week where they're just not on television. It's it, it, they, He did this with Chris Jericho. He did it with Cody. And now he's doing it with Punk. And it's great that all of these veterans are putting MJF over. And if MJF beats Punk, that's going to be a great feather in his cap for a world title run and maybe for him to be the guy who takes down Hangman Adam Page. That's going to be great. But it is very long and drawn out where I wish they would really focus on like allowing MJF to get some television wins and then waiting like three weeks, let's say, and allowing then the Punk feud to start and shortening it and giving it a, let's say, six-week window to the pay-per-view, as opposed to, I don't know, a 12-week window, right? Something like that would, for me, be a better watch as a wrestling fan. We all, On Rampage, we had Adam Cole against Trent Beretta. Trent hit Cole with an avalanche brainbuster, then countered Panama Sunrise into a strong zero with a late cover. Best friends in the elite, or whatever they're called now, then brawled at ringside, because, of course, we have to have a ringside brawl. That gave Cole an opening to hit a low blow on Trent, and then hit the last shot for the win. It was a well-wrestled match, very typical finish. I went 3.5 stars and a B. On Dynamite, we had Adam Cole and Britt Baker against Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. They did mixed tag team, not intergender rules. Statlander hit a blue thunderbomb. Baker came back with a really inventive backslide. Orange hit Stun Dog Millionaire, but Baker blind tagged and hit him with a stomp while the referee's back was turned before eating another blue thunderbomb. Cole covered Baker, 
but Statlander hit a 450 splash on both of them. So she broke the rules. The referee saw it and didn't do anything about it. I'm guessing because Cole was not the legal man at the time. So it was probably okay because of that. But still, it happened. Orange then tagged in to hit beach break only for Cole to kick out. Cole kind of super kicked Orange as he tried a tope, but Statlander pushed him out of the way as Cole was going to try a Panama Sunrise on the ramp. So Baker hit a Pittsburgh Sunrise on Statlander, and Cole hit Panama Sunrise on Orange a second later for a 2.8. The heels got a table, and Orange accidentally fell into Baker, who was standing on the ring apron, so she flew through the table. The referee checked on her for no reason. She's a competitor in the match, and the match is still ongoing. She's not the legal person, so I don't know why he checked on her. Uh, So Cole got incensed seeing his girlfriend get hurt. So he low-blowed Orange Cassidy and hit the last shot for the one, two, three in the exact same finish as the match on Rampage. So if anything, the table spot should have resulted in Cole getting caught and losing, or if they don't want him to lose, countering a pinning combination to get the win so he can go run out and check on her. Instead, he's in the ring seething mad And rather than him being the one to check on his girlfriend, the referee does, and he uses the opportunity to cheat. Now, if that was purposeful because he's a heel, then okay, I guess that works. But in reality, Baker next week or on Rampage or whenever should be like, hey, why why did you just go for the win and not check on me first? Or she should praise him for doing that. Like that should work into something because it was something that blatantly happened on my TV. So Cole has now won via low blow in each of his last two matches. Because, I don't know, heaven forbid Trent or Orange Cassidy lose clean. Like, that's the only thing I didn't like about this. Otherwise, it was a banger. And it was one of the best mixed matches uh, of the last couple of years. WWE had a couple in the mixed match challenge. Obviously, the one at WrestleMania with Ronda Rousey and Kurt Angle. That one was fantastic. But mixed matches aren't, they're, they're frequently fine, but they're not usually bangers. This until the finish for me was a banger. So a minor downgrade, but I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. Cole later cut a really passionate promo challenging Orange in a no DQ lights out match next week at Beach Break so he could end his career. That's gonna be another absolute banger. I would bet on it. Uh, Rocky Romero and Trent later took over Brandon Cutler's camera and challenged the Young Bucks to a uh, match. I guess I think it's on Rampage as Rapungi Vice which rekindles their New Japan rivalry, and that's certainly going to be fun. So that, that'll be cool. On Rampage, Chris Statlander, Layla Hirsch, and Red Velvet fought the Bunny, Penelope Ford, and Nyla Rose. Statlander got Ford in a spider crab, but Vicky Guerrero distracted, and then the Bunny kicked her in the temple. Statlander hit Bunny with a blue thunderbomb. When Hirsch tagged herself in for the second time in the match, Bunny pushed her into Statlander and then rolled her over for a terribly executed 1-2-3 and a chaotic finish. This got nine minutes with a double commercial break, So again, we go back to what's better for a WWE women's match to get four minutes or an AEW match to get nine minutes when only four of it or maybe five of it is on your TV. For me, it's exactly the same. Nothing good, nothing special. It did advance the Statlander-Hirsch mini feud, but Statlander is also feuding with Baker. So why do you need the mini feud for her to get a win? Isn't she already a contender? Like I'm confused by that. On Dynamite, Hirsch criticized Statlander for the Rampage loss, calling her selfish. Velvet defended her, so Hirsch took shots at the back of both of their heads and put Statlander in an armbar. This continued what happened on Rampage. Again, nothing particularly special. On Dynamite, Cody Rhodes came out with his hair half blonde on top, half brown on the bottom. He set up a really tall ladder 
And he recounted CM Punk's pipe bomb promo as he got STFU, you know, the real words, uh, chance, and light Cody sucks chance as well. Cody said he lived out the roadmap in Punk's promo, which is not true, uh, and then broke the fourth wall saying he won't turn heel because people cheered him while he started a revolution and built the forbidden door. So then the sheep in the crowd start chanting Cody's name as a face. Then he said he doesn't need to see the Young Bucks beat developmental guys like Red Dragon. Then he made a quip about name changes and a shot at WWE. Cody finally got to challenge Sammy Guevara and he challenged him to a ladder match at Beach Break. And that was the end of the promo. So I'm not exactly sure what this was supposed to be. Was it supposed to be a state of the union of Cody or AEW or something? This is one of those promos where I kept thinking, man, shut your mad rambling ass up. Like, that's all I could think as he was talking. Not every promo needs to be some highly efforted epic. And it feels like Cody always tries to do that even when it's often unnecessary. A great example of doing it right is Edge. Most of Edge's promos are just normal promos. Some are great, some are good, Rarely are they anything worse than good. But when Edge is involved in a major feud, like the Randy Orton feud or the Seth Rollins feud, he will go to the ring or he'll go sit somewhere and he will deliver an epic promo, a promo of the year where he gets passionate and invested and and shows his heart, puts it on his sleeve, shows anger and passion, all those things. And Edge does it perfectly because he knows when to do that and when not to do that. With Cody, every time he has a promo segment in the ring, he thinks it needs to be that. And I think it's because early on in AEW, he got a lot of praise for, I think it was two really damn good promos that he cut. One was the Silver Spoon promo. I forget what the second one was, but I do remember there were two that I particularly loved that he cut. And because he got such strong responses from those promos, now he thinks... Every single time he goes out, that's what he needs to do to get over. It's very similar to a writer who doesn't understand that sometimes you can just write a simple story and other times you can write a novel. That is the the pinnacle um, creation of your career or an actor who understands some roles you really need to dive deep into the drama, become the character. And other times you can kind of just do comedy. Like you don't have to get that involved and deep into it. Cody feels like every single time it has to be an epic and it just doesn't. So there's probably going to be some people out there that tell you this was great. And it's in the promo of the year conversation. Not me. This was one of the worst promos of the year, as far as I was concerned, especially after the very forced NXT and WWE shots back to back, because heaven forbid we go one episode without that. As far as the booking, It was obvious as I laid out last week, and there's nothing wrong with leaning into the obvious and leaning into the expectation. The match between them is probably going to be very good, but this promo and the entire segment, it was just not good. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say it was bad. On Dynamite, Hangman Page and Lance Archer had a back and forth video promo deal. Archer was not only with Dan Lambert, but also now Jake Roberts, who was conspicuous by his absence last week. Page basically said he could have a title match out of nowhere, uh, but nothing was scheduled or decided. I hate the idea that a guy who's won nothing in AEW 
comes back after a long time off and just gets a world title match. It's one thing if like you're the Undertaker coming back. Lance Archer ain't the Undertaker. You know, he ain't CM Punk or Brian Danielson. And this is the shit we criticize WWE for all the time. Just giving title matches to like Goldberg. But again, Goldberg is Goldberg. Lance Archer is not Goldberg. Um, At least they gave Archer a match on the show. Roberts was the best part of the promo segment. So the match was Archer versus Frankie Kazarian. And Kaz came out. Look, maybe this is something he's used before. I'm not familiar with it personally. He came out as the heavy metal rebel. And I just laughed at the idea of that gimmick for such a mild-mannered, clean-cut guy. It's like your 50-year-old father still being into heavy metal, but shaving his head and not looking like it anymore. You know, it just, it didn't make a shred of sense to me. Archer had way too much trouble with Kaz, given this guy is supposed to be challenging for the title. But Archer did kick out at one after a springboard leg drop. Then he had a choke slam, helicoaster, and the blackout for the win. But the crowd was silent. It was bored to tears during this match. Then after it's over, Lambert cuts another one of his dumbass, overly scripted promos about Hangman playing video games inside, drinking Perrier, and I think he made a comment about him giving hand jobs. Archer cut him off saying enough of this cowboy bullshit. He was going to chokeslam Kaz onto a chair when Hangman came out, slapped him, and they brawled with Hangman closing him outside and getting over. This wasn't good either. Like, Page has already gotten up on his challenger, and I couldn't believe that this whole thing got three segments. But one last thing here before I move on, enough of Dan Lambert. Like, what what does Dan Lambert have over Tony Khan at this point? I don't get it. It made complete sense when he came in with American Top Team. I get what they were doing there. They wanted to get some rub with some UFC people on screen. There was a fun element, the Jericho stuff. There was some comedy. Okay, like it it went on way too long. And I didn't even think the the finish of it at the pay-per-view was satisfactory for me. But okay, they had a purpose doing that. But now linking him up with men of the year as their de facto manager, I get that these guys have some like jujitsu or MMA type of skills or training in the past, but it is such a loose connection that it is awful, especially when Sky and Page can speak for themselves. And now including him with Lance Archer is completely nonsensical when he already has a legendary manager in Jake the Snake Roberts. Get Dan Lambert off my damn television. I'm done with it. And by the way, it's not just that it's repetitive. His promos actually now suck. There was a time early on where he was just ranting at AEW and it was passion and he was in Miami and you felt the energy and it was really cool. But now you can tell this guy like scripts out his promo, spends hours studying it, and then is just going out there and reciting the script. And it's awful. There's no nuance. There's no pregnant pauses or passion or anything to it. It's just bad television. Please get Dan Lambert off my TV. I am so done with him, especially with Lance Archer. But in totality, please, I'm done with it. Uh, Speaking of things I'm done with, uh, Chris Jericho told Eddie Kingston to GFY again, and I could only roll my eyes. He's actually trying to make GFY his new saying. AEW even created a t-shirt for it. It is so incredibly forced and bad. Jericho in his career has gotten so many ridiculously good and bad things over. 
Like, he is the king. He's the king of, like, if you said, here's a pencil, get this over, he could go get it over. He, he can. This one is not going to work. And if it does, it's only going to work out of the crowd cheering for it, ironically, or something like that. It's not naturally going to get over. It needs to stop, especially when on the same show you have a guy who literally said the word in, in the first 30 seconds of the show, and now you're going to come in as if GFY is some edgy shit. It's just bad. Drop it, Chris, please. Other than that, I really like this whole thing. So Santana and Ortiz told him that he can talk shit about Kingston if he wants, but he should not speak for them because Eddie's their boy. And then Santana questioned if maybe Kingston was right because all Santana and Ortiz have done is fight Chris Jericho's and Inner Circle's battles without ever becoming champions or even getting many title shots. Outside of Jericho's line, like I said, that whole thing with Santana, very strong. And it is reality that Santana and Ortiz have largely been marginalized since the start of AEW. And it's one of the things that's bothered me most that I've talked about most frequently on this podcast. Now, do they split inner circle? I don't know. If they do, do Santana and Ortiz start working with Kingston? Do they become a heel tag team? Are they the team as heels potentially that goes off and beats Jurassic Express? I could certainly see that as a possibility. I also like how Kingston is consistently involved in these positions, like breaking up teams and factions or trying to, uh, because he has friendships that superseded the formation of the teams and factions. So it is very, uh, it's a good angle and it's clearly going to lead to Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston at Revolution. And that's going to be a great match. So that's all really good. But I do hope it also results in Santana and Ortiz being elevated because man, I got to say, I don't understand AEW putting the titles on Jurassic Express right now. It felt rushed and kind of forced and just unnecessary. Santana and Ortiz being the team to go ahead and beat the Lucha Brothers, for me, would have been far better. Um, But we'll see kind of how that comes up down the line. Speaking of the tag team picture, might as well roll into that. Uh, The Jurassic Express defended their titles on Rampage against the Dark Order. Jungle Boy countered a Doomsday Device attempt by throwing John Silver into Alex Reynolds. The Luchasaurus joined to combine for a modified super duperplex. Everyone wrestled without tagging. Jungle Boy ate a, a bunch of fast action offense for a great 2.9 kickout. Jungle Boy then hurricaned Silver into Evil Uno outside and jumped over Luchasaurus for a Canadian destroyer on Reynolds for a 2.5. Then the champions combined for like a strange two-man codebreaker, and that got the win. It was a very indie-style match without a shred of psychology and very little selling. It was entertaining. Just not my taste. You guys know what my taste is. That was 3.25 stars and a B. On Dynamite, Billy Gunn confronted Christian Cage in a loading dock to say his sons are the top five in the AEW rankings and they deserve a title shot. Christian said Billy never got a statement win in his career. And so if Gun Club went out and got one, they could get a title shot. So Gun Club attacked Christian from behind and threw him into a garage door saying statement made. It was pretty good stuff. Uh, Christian now being de facto manager and not a wrestler is pretty ridiculous. I assume they'll do a six man and then eventually they'll do a tag team match for the titles. But Christian, let's be clear here, has not had a singles match in AEW since September 5th. And that's when he lost the AEW title match to Kenny Omega. And he's only had two AEW TV matches period in the past four months. It's a very weird decision to not use this guy that you made out to be some epic signing, especially when his gimmick is outwork everyone, yet he's there and not working, right? Okay, 
Uh, so on Dynamite, Matt Hardy announced he was selling Andrade Alidolo 51% of the HFO and then got into some convoluted explanation about him, Hardy, still holding three of the five board seats. So he's going to maintain control even though Andrade owns the majority. Hardy's the CEO, Andrade's the president. Now they're known as AHFO. I'm sure there's a plan here. At least I hope there is a plan. Maybe it's a situation of like Andrade steals private party and then Matt brings Jeff in and then it's the Hardy Boys versus private party. Even if it is, this is so convoluted. The HFO is just something that does not need to exist. And Andrade, you have this extremely talented guy that we talked about being wasted in WWE. And I gotta say, has he been given the opportunity to have a couple better matches in AEW than he had in WWE? Sure, some. I mean, Andrade NXT against Johnny Gargano is better than anything he's done so far in AEW. But has Andrade gotten in-ring freedom? Yeah, I guess. Other than that, his character is nothing he couldn't or kind of in some ways hasn't already done during his WWE run. Like he's being quote unquote treated no better, in my opinion, in AEW than he is in WWE. It's the same guy, infrequently used, mostly in a promo and not wrestling. And that is a frustration because I'm a huge fan of Andrade. Uh, The main event on Dynamite was Darby Allin and Sting versus The Acclaimed. Acclaimed wrapped a chair around Darby's neck and ran him into the post before the bell. Then they rang the bell with Darby being attended to by trainers and brought backstage. So it was 62-year-old Sting against two guys that are his age combined. Now to his credit, Sting did all the work and he didn't really look like a 62-year-old. He did look like a 52-year-old, but he didn't look like he was 62. It was pretty impressive. Anthony Bowens broke a scorpion deathlock on Max Caster. Then they got Sting outside when Darby predictably came down for a coffin drop off the top rope to both of the heels. Sting broke a fall after a mic drop. Then he jumped off a stage, putting Caster through a table. And you could tell that hurt him because he gingerly got up after that. Darby ran Bowens into an exposed turnbuckle, flipped him over for a stunner and won with the coffin drop. It was a good match to pop the crowd. Sting's splash was truly insane from the standpoint of he really shouldn't be doing that. But this was all really entertaining, I will say. On Dynamite, Kings of the Black Throne fought the Varsity Blondes. The heels got different music for their tag team as opposed to Malachi Black's own music. That was awesome and totally fitting. And then they won with Dante's Inferno in about two minutes. Malachi asked his House of Black members, aka the crowd, to rise so people stood up. And then nothing happened except Pac appeared on, appeared on the screen with tarot cards again. He called Black a power-hungry cretin. He said he wouldn't bow down for Black, but would make a martyr out of him. And Black looked kind of rattled for the first time. This is a feud I'm definitely enjoying. And the way they're booking Pac makes me think he might finally win something significant in AEW. I definitely expect Black and Pac to be a match at Revolution. On Rampage, Ricky Starks talked trash on commentary about Jay Lethal. So Lethal came out, said he's been watching the whole saga with Dante Martin and challenged him for the FTW championship. Lethal also questioned his manhood, saying he only does what Daddy Taz says. There was no resolution. Uh, It seems like Lethal has just replaced Leo Rush, who has disappeared in this feud. And that is obviously weird. On Dynamite, Dante Martin, Lee Moriarty, and Matt Seidel all agreed to watch each other's backs. Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs said Team Taz is still after them. This is really just another endless Team Taz storyline. They just move from one opponent or group of opponents to another, and then it goes on for three months at a time. I don't know what they're doing. You don't have to force this on every episode of TV. Why don't you just take this 
Make it a Rampage storyline. Allow it to happen there and give time on Dynamite to other people that could be using it. Allow Andrade to wrestle in a five-minute match and get a win on TV. There's so many other things you can do. You don't need to have this on every single show. And that goes for a lot of AEW storylines. You don't, just because you have two shows, this is a trap WWE fell into back in the day before they did the brand split. You don't need to just have the same storylines across two different shows and that that reduces the time that's available for other people. And it's unfortunate. If people really like Ricky Starks and they really like some of these people, then they can go find them on Rampage. That should be the goal, as far as I'm concerned, at least. On Dynamite, Serena Deeb fought Sky Blue. Deeb was dominant as expected and won in a few minutes. With a Serenity Lock, like I said, a lot of very short matches on Dynamite this week. Very odd and unusual. And also on Dynamite, there was a terrible confrontation between Jade Cargill and Anna Jay, with Jade challenging for the TBS title and Cargill calling it that bitch show. I guess that'll happen next week, given they would want the title defended on TBS and obviously not on TNT. So that was AEW this week. You know, it was fine. There's certainly some positives to kind of take away from it as we discussed. Really briefly, let's do a quick preview of Beach Break since it is next week. It's going to be Cody Rhodes versus Sammy Guevara in a ladder match for the TNT Championship. I have no idea who is going to win this. My thought was eventually Cody would drop the title back to Sammy, but for Sammy to win the interim title so shortly after losing the TNT title to Cody, and then for Cody to just lose it immediately back to him in this short of a window, really doesn't make that much sense. So I'm going to say Cody wins this, and maybe they rematch at the pay-per-view for like a third time or fourth time, whatever it is, and then Sammy wins it back. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. I really have no idea how they're going to book that match. I'm going to say Cody, but if they put it on Sammy, I would not at all be surprised. Adam Cole versus Orange Cassidy in a lights out match. I mean, Cole's already beaten him twice, but both in like, you know, schmas types of ways. I don't know why they would have Cole take his first loss to Orange. And it is a lights out match. So I assume some shenanigans with Red Dragon and the Elite. So I'm going to pick Adam Cole. We have Chris Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz against Daniel Garcia at 2.0. I could have sworn this match happened, but I guess it was with Eddie Kingston instead of Jericho. So another repeat match. You know, I would want to pick Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz, but I think from a storyline standpoint, it makes more sense if Jericho does something to cost his team the win and the heels get the victory. So I'm going to pick Garcia and 2.0, but Again, man, we talked about AEW made a huge deal about not doing rematches and not doing repetitive booking. There's a lot of rematches and a lot of repetitive booking. And then lastly, Red Velvet versus Layla Hirsch. I have to assume Layla Hirsch wins that. So I guess maybe the Jade Cargill uh, TBS title match is not on Beach Break. I definitely thought it was. Maybe they're saving it for two weeks. I will say if they just put it on Rampage, though, that is going to be exceptionally strange. And it really wouldn't make much sense at all, you know, given it's a TBS title. So Uh, We'll see what uh, happens there. Let's move on to NXT. Uh, Before we get into the show itself, I do want to note, this was the third incarnation of the renovated Performance Center for NXT 2.0. So WWE added floor seats for fans behind, uh, I should say underneath the stands. They brought the barricades closer in and had Vic Joseph and Wade Barrett moved from the typical desk position opposite the stage to on the same side as the hard cam. And that's the way that WWE has it set up. Whenever they do those very rare house show specials like Starcade or whatever else, they have the announce booth on the hard cam side, usually for spatial reasons. Uh, The corners of the barricade of the ramp 
were way too close to the ring. Like it was dangerous. I don't understand why they brought them in that much. I mostly liked the aesthetic changes, except for the blue ropes that were just kind of off-putting. It's a show that where the logo is multicolored. So why wouldn't you just do white ropes and allow the lights, which you're going to change the colors of, to bounce off the ropes? That makes a lot more sense. The blue was very, very strange. They got to push those barricade corners back out. But other than that, I did think it created a lot of more energy. It got more people in the building and it took away a lot of the empty blank spaces that we were talking about when they first debuted NXT 2.0. They did make it significantly better. So let's get into the show. Uh, Malcolm Bivens was talking trash about Imperium backstage when Walter pushed him up against lockers like a high school kid. Roderick Strong made the save and issued a challenge. Walter later told Imperium he was proud of them for holding down the fort in the United States and that their mission officially begins tonight. Bivens later told Walter through the camera that the mat isn't sacred, it's just a way to get paid and the mat belongs to Diamond Mine. So the main event appropriately of the show was Walter against Roderick Strong. Strong chopped Walter, so Walter answered and absolutely knocked his ass out. Then he grabbed Bivens, but Strong intervened. Walter dropped him on the apron. Strong's Olympic slam failed. Walter twice tried a sleeper, but Strong escaped and hit his running forearms. Strong then hit a really insane superplex and draped an arm over Walter for a 2.5. And there were very loud NXT chants. People loved this. Uh, Strong hit running shoulder tackles. Walter leapfrogged him, which was a crazy sight. And Strong hit a Claymore for another near fall. Crowd was then going wild at this point. Strong tried to counter a powerbomb into, I think, a pedigree. But Walter escaped, dropped Strong, and hit the powerbomb for the 1, 2, 3, and 12 minutes to win the match. And holy shit, what a match it was. Uh, I'd have loved a few more minutes, especially since there was a commercial during the match. But these guys absolutely tore the house down. Easy decision as match of the week. Walter looked as dominant as ever here. 4.25 stars and an A. But the match is not what you guys want to hear me talk about. What you want to hear me talk about is what happened after the match. When Walter grabbed a mic and declared the winner of the match as Gunther or Gunther, he and Imperium then attacked Strong with the Creed Brothers making the save as all six brawled with the show going off the air. Obviously, it's going to set up a six-man tag team match. Now, I saw people completely overreacting to Walter's name change on social media. And I got to say, as I kind of said early in the show, and I, as I definitely tweeted, the IWC, the internet wrestling community right now, it is just exhausting these days. It truly is. The way molehills are made into mountains, the way something that's stupid or accidental can be turned into this atrocity. And atrocity is really an appropriate word given some of the circumstances we're about to talk about here. Let's start with just the name change, the simplistic nature of what we saw on television. Walter becoming Gunther, okay? And then we'll get into the details. WWE has changed so many people's names. They changed Fergal Devitt or Prince Devitt to Finn Balor. They took Kenta, they made him Hideo Itami. They took Claudio Castanoli, they made him Antonio Cesaro, and then Cesaro. The list goes on, and I could literally rattle it off. They took Piper Nevin, who had multiple years on NXT UK, brought her to the United States and just made her do drop. So 
First of all, how is the name change a surprise to anyone? What they likely wanted to do, let's let's think about facts and logic first, okay? What they likely wanted to do was trademark the wrestler, which is what WWE wants to do if the wrestler will not sign over the trademark of their own name to them. And Walter likely wanted to keep his own trademark because this is a guy who originally was never gonna come to the United States, ultimately decided that he wanted to give it a shot, but he wants to retain the ability where if it doesn't work out with WWE, which we have seen, it has not worked out with WWE with a number of people, including people we thought were can't miss, like Keith Lee and Swerve, okay? He decided, I wanna keep my name, I don't want, either he decided, I don't. I wanna keep it, I don't wanna use it, whatever, or WWE said, we wanna change your name. Either way, we know the name changes are stupid, we know it sucks, but the name Gunther on its own is, I don't know, 80% the same as Walter. Walter's a better name, of course it is. But Gunther is a very typical name in Germany, Hungary, um, Austria, which is where Walter is from. It is not a strange name. However, let's now move away from the simple part of the name change. The reason why there is such a massive overreaction beyond the fact that they simply changed the name of Walter is that WWE apparently trademarked a name, Gunther Stark, earlier in the week. And apparently that is the name of a former Nazi soldier, a random one, a person who is a footnote in history, not uh, not like many of the big names you know, of course, from World War II. And that is obviously incredibly unfortunate. It shows WWE's intense level of stupidity. Someone not either in creative, Walter himself, if he chose his own name, um, someone in the trademark department, legal, whoever, just Googling the name and making sure it's not problematic because a name like Gunther Stark could certainly be problematic. But so, so they trademark the name. It goes through, someone finds the trademark because people literally every single day search the trademark database to see what WWE has filed and then they write news stories about it because that's what wrestling journalism is these days. So it gets reported. Then obviously someone notices because someone Googles the name and, and they look it up and they see it. And there's a whole big shitstorm about WWE doing this and screwing up and, and whatever. So then WWE clearly realizes this because they see the outcry. Their head is not stuck in the sand, at least on this. They see that they can't use this name and they made a really dumb decision. So they say, okay, we're not going to use that name. We're just gonna use the first name for a guy who has used just a first name for his entire WWE career and a little bit before that as well. And by the way, this is a company who more often than not, uh, when it comes to guys, I guess, like Walter, if you categorize him with the Rusevs and the Cesaros and guys like that, ends up going by one name anyway. So they say, okay, yes, holy shit, we did something stupid. We're just gonna call him Gunther. And now people are angry that WWE is using a common first name in Europe, again, in areas where Walter was born and has lived his entire life. They're angry that WWE is using a very common first name as a name change for this guy. I want to remind you all of a couple things from a, again, logistical standpoint to kind of bring you back to 
reality. I'll say it for the millionth time. Wrestlers are not just given names willy-nilly in WWE. Most of the time. Are there exceptions? Yes. Dewdrop is a clear exception. But even something like Bearcat Keith Lee or Keith Bearcat Lee, whatever they used, they basically said to Keith Lee that they were having a trademark dispute. And they said to Keith, well, we got to get you a nickname. We'll trademark that. That's what we'll use. That way you don't have to give us your Keith Lee trademark and, and we can still operate together. So he had the opportunity to choose either his nickname or he was given a list. And out of that list, he kind of looked through things. He chose it. They mutually came together and decided that that was going to be his name. And when it comes to Walter, someone who WWE has bent over backwards for since he initially signed with the company to say, okay, you don't have to go to the United States. If you do, it's whenever you want to, specialized occasions for only a couple days at a time. They have done whatever the hell Walter has largely wanted since signing him to NXT UK. It was a really big deal to get him to do that when no one thought that would ever happen. But somehow people now believe that WWE either, number one, purposely named, uh, created a name that was used by a former Nazi because they want Walter to be a Nazi character. That is outside of any realm of reality that I don't even understand how people can legitimately believe it. And if you say to yourself, Silver King, no one actually believes that, you're wrong. Because I've seen it all over Twitter and I've seen it all over Reddit. And it's not just like random people saying it, it's people saying it and it getting retweeted and upvoted and like publicized that people actually believe WWE did it on purpose. The second thing I'm people seeing people say is that now the name Gunther on its own is problematic just because they happen to see what the trademark filing was and now they can't separate the two. Even though, again, this person is a footnote in history that no one, no one has ever heard of, except I, I have to believe if I called up a random World War II historian and said that name and said, hey, who was that guy? The guy would go, I have no idea who that was. Like, no one's heard of this dude, but now the name Gunther on its own is ruined to these people because they saw a trademark filing that, again, was never used on television. So what was likely Walter picking a new name for himself that accidentally was tied into something neither he nor WWE intended or WWE and Walter combining to decide on a name for him that again was something that neither he nor WWE intended is instead people thinking and, and promoting and getting angry about WWE purposely giving him the name of a Nazi. In 2021, a publicly traded company, how can you actually believe that is a real thing that happened? It's truly warped thinking. It's just not logical in any given way. I think you guys can probably guess from my name, Adam Silverstein, I am Jewish. If there is anyone who would be extremely sensitive to something like this, by the way, my, fam my family is also Hungarian or at least part of it is. I don't really know my ancestry that well. But if anyone is going to be sensitive to something like this, as a wrestling fan, as a wrestling journalist, as someone who has a podcast, it's going to be me. And I think this is absolutely ridiculous. 
As we tape this episode, PW Insider is reporting that WWE has dropped the trademark attempt on Gunther Stark because, of course, they were going to drop the trademark attempt. It was obvious. They they didn't use the name on TV. They were never going to use it. They realized their mistake and therefore didn't use it. That's what you want a company to do. An example of WWE burying its head in the sand would be to see the outrage and say, ah, never mind. Let's just use it anyway on television. So I just simply do not understand how people can be angry that a common first name in Europe, again, especially that Germany, Hungary, uh, Austrian region, Austria region, sorry, a common name equivalent of, I don't know, Jim or Joe or John or something like that. I don't see how you can now have a problem with that. Like I said, the IWC is absolutely exhausting. I can't believe I had to spend, I don't know how long, five minutes here explaining logic and reality to wrestling fans. I know you guys are smarter than the average fan. Those of you listening to this podcast, I know many of you do not hold the same quote, WWE bad mentality that a lot of the IWC has, especially since the existence of AEW. But holy shit, man, the number of people that I saw tweeting and posting about this, it was just mind-boggling. I thought I was living in an alternate dimension where people like don't understand logic and reality. But then again, I think about what's happened right over the last five years in particular, but really the last 10 years in the United States, where of course I live. And you know what? At the end of the day, maybe I shouldn't be that surprised that people can so easily believe something as ridiculous as thinking WWE would do it on purpose. So let's move on now. Rant over. Let me get to the rest of NXT. There's maybe another mini rant coming. We'll see. Uh, Braun Breaker said backstage, he knows the responsibilities of being NXT champion. Electro Lopez approached before Santos Escobar said Braun isn't ready to carry NXT on his shoulders. Escobar promised to take him out and take the title on his own time. So dude, I'm pumped. I am pumped to see Santos Escobar get this elevation. It sucks on one hand that we know he's just going to be fodder for Braun, basically to be the first person he beats as champion, but hopefully it opens some eyes into what Escobar can do, what is possible both in NXT and on the main roster, because he and Legato are ready for the main roster. I mean, look, I said that about Hit Row. It was obvious Hit Row should have worked. Legato has even more reason to work. Escobar should be everything the WWE wants in a Mexican or Latin American, whatever you want to call, uh, you know, what they're looking for or however you want to categorize it, that type of performer. He has great look. He can speak. He's an incredible wrestler. He's captivating on the mic. He is the total package. He is a 5-2 player. And Legato del Fantasma, the tag team, they're great too. They're, they're in very easy uh, move into tag team champions on the main roster. You can buy it in a second. Electra Lopez, rough around the edges. If she was in a managerial role, it would work, but she's not ready to be a wrestler on the main roster. So that is something that would need to be considered. Now let's move on to the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. We got two matches on the show. Before the matches, Legato de Fantasma talked trash to MSK, seemingly telegraphing that both teams would be in the semifinals, even though I thought that was pretty obvious anyway. Uh, but we'll see if that actually transpires. So we have the Creed Brothers versus Briggs and Jensen. This started awesomely with Jensen kneeing Brutus Creed in the face that his mouth guard popped out of his mouth and he did it while he was trying for a single leg takedown. So he saw it happening, countered it, 
The mouth guard popped out. Really cool stuff. Uh, Brutus then belly to belly suplexed him over the top rope. Julius Creed later speared Jensen into this new barricade that I was talking about and literally bent it. The thing was so weak that one like shot into it, bent the top of it. The Creeds then won with an inverted fireman's carry slam and a basement lariat. Obviously they were the right winners here. And the Brothers Creed, that's what I prefer calling them. They look great. The crowd was on fire for them and Malcolm Bivens really sold the finish. Just a really good look for the rookies. After the loss, Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter told the guys they could drown their sorrows by all going out for, I guess, a couple drinks together. Uh, Briggs and Jensen were all about it when Wendy Chu woke up from sleeping on top of some lockers to tease that Jensen had a crush on Carter. He got all flustered. And that whole thing actually wasn't too bad. Like, was it corny? Yeah, but Wendy Chu getting involved, you guys know I have a soft spot for her now. The whole thing kind of worked, but man, again, Casey and Caden, main roster tag team, they could already be on there and doing good work. It's very frustrating. The second match was Legato del Fantasma against Malik Blade and Idris Anofe. Escobar tripped Blade and got ejected, so he jumped on the ring apron to argue. Braun ran down to trip Escobar, knocking him out cold on the apron, and then he carried him out of the PC. The faces took advantage of the distraction by folding up Raul Mendoza for the upset in a couple of minutes. Apparently, the booking wasn't telegraphed uh, that I thought it was earlier. I mean, look, it's cool they're giving these guys a run, but with these four athletic dudes in a match, letting them wrestle first before you go to the schmaz finish is much preferred. Like, why not just let them show what they can do and then get to this? Instead, you give us a three-minute match in a tournament. I mean, we just went through this with the Queen's Crown. Why the hell are you just shortening a match to that degree when it's supposed to mean something? It doesn't make sense. Blade and Anofe were pumped up backstage. Braun dapped them up to give them a little bit of rub. You know, that, that was fine. So uh, Malik Blade and Idris Anofe and the Creed brothers, the brothers Creed, are the first two teams uh, moving on in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. For the men, the women's one is not starting until February. LA Knight actually opened NXT to Chance. He got a really weird promo about Grayson Waller, who brought out a restraining order and mocked all of Knight's catchphrases. Knight accepted the restraining order, but pointed out that Waller didn't have one on a different person. Dexter Loomis appeared from under the ring and put Waller in silence. Knight then gave Waller a choice. He could either lift the restraining order and fight him, or he could just fight Loomis. So after commercial, we got Waller versus Loomis. After eating a sit-down urinagi, Waller escaped silence by rolling outside. With the referee distracted, Loomis got taken out at ringside and rolled into the ring where Waller hit his rolling cutter for the win. The man who came in and distracted the referee and was dealing with the whole situation was Sarav, uh, the former partner of Veer when they were together as Indu Share. I could have sworn the guy was released and I'm not putting that on him. I'm glad he's still employed. But I believe he was the one who accidentally leaked uh, the title change. I think Keith Lee winning the NXT championship over Adam Cole. And that's when they stopped putting Indu Share on TV. They moved Veer up with Shanky, with Jinder Mahal. And I thought Sarav was just done, but apparently he's still there. Anyway, this was nothing to write home about. And while Sarav was a surprise, it was hardly a notable one. It was fitting, I guess, for Waller to get a heavy, given he's extremely hated in kayfabe, a little bit akin to Shawn Michaels when he brought Diesel in. But Shawn Michaels and Diesel, it made a lot of sense. Shawn Michaels was a party boy. Diesel was a bouncer. It all worked together. Here, it just seems completely random. Maybe they explain it next week. Right now, it's just a big whatever for me. Waller was doing just fine on his own. Tony D'Angelo held a memorial service for Pete Dunne. 
There was a closed casket in the ring. D'Angelo said he took out a decorated and accomplished NXT legend. He said it was time for him to get some gold. And then he set his eyes on the North American Championship. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams appeared on the balcony. They felt slighted uh, and they accepted the challenge basically under a condition. Uh, Trick made a great comment about Vic Joseph and basically corpsed. And I just wish we could have seen Vic's reaction because he really took a shot there. And I would love to just see how that affected him because he was silent on commentary, but you could see he and Trick were going back and forth like with their eyes or, or mouthing words to each other off mic. It was very funny. Cameron Grimes came out, told D'Angelo to get to the back of the line. And the exception was basically Mello saying, hey, you guys both want the title. Why don't you fight for the number one contendership? Grimes ducked D'Angelo's attack and then smashed the picture of Dunn that was used for the ceremony over D'Angelo's head. D'Angelo was actually the weakest on the mic out of all four guys here, but this entire thing was super entertaining. The mid-card picture on NXT in some ways is more exciting than it is on SmackDown because SmackDown doesn't have anyone in it. So at least there's good wrestlers going after a mid-card title here and all four of these guys, even though Trick is not involved in the actual feud here, he's just, a you know, the side piece uh, for Mello, for lack of a better term. Um, all four of them are super entertaining and I think all four of them have bright futures. This was really good, solid from start to finish. Uh, Kaylee Ray fought Ivy Nile. KLR cartwheeled out of a headlock. Nile used her leg for a really cool basement DDT type of move. KLR then hit a super kick, but was distracted by Mandy Rose as she was trying a gory bomb. She got Nile back into the gory bomb anyway, but Nile escaped and rolled her over for the upset win in five minutes. Mandy attacked, KLR got up on her, so Toxic Attraction ran in. Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada then came in to even the sides. And it was just a whole bunch of like, meh, you know? The match was going nicely, really well between KLR and Nile until the finish. KLR needs wins. She's also clearly going to be the number one contender. So why in the world are you having her lose a singles match to Ivy Nile? There's literally no reason for her to fall someone who is a total neophyte and could have easily eaten the loss. It's, there's this really weird mentality in NXT right now where they don't want the rookies to lose. The whole way the rookies get better is by losing a feud, maybe losing another, coming back and surprising and beating someone. And then they start their ascension into the mid-card title picture and then into the main event picture. It's very simple wrestling booking. There is no reason, and this is not the only time it's happened in NXT recently, where the rookie just won a match for no good reason whatsoever. This is an example of it, and it's even worse because she's going to be the number one contender and doesn't really have a resume of wins yet. So she needed this win. Ivy Nile's a rookie. Easy for her to beat Ivy Nile. She never would have been hurt by it in a million years. Very stupid booking here. Raquel Gonzalez said she doesn't make excuses after making a bunch of excuses. She said she's big mommy cool and is still going after the title. Cora Jade said she still wanted the women's title also, but suggested they team up in the Dusty Rhodes Women's Tag Team Classic. Raquel said she liked Cora, but declined the offer. Jade said she would convince Gonzalez soon enough. Them teaming up, of course, makes sense. And NXT does need temporary teams for the tournament. So I'm sure we'll get that. Uh, Saray got a video package and she was repackaged after returning to Japan in reality to see family, I guess, take a break from the US since she just recently moved here. And I'm not joking here. They had Saray dressed up as a stereotypical Japanese schoolgirl. The look with the circular glasses, the pigtails, the white shirt, the whole deal. Then she showed off her grandma's necklace, which had like the sun. 
that she said gave her strength, passion, and energy to come back to the United States and succeed. This was exceptionally bad and depressing. I'm not going to go so far as to call it racist, like some were doing. But man, it is very stereotypical and off-putting. And if you ever had a question that Bruce Pritchard was in charge of NXT Creative, here is the answer staring you right in the face. This is one of those situations where I hope the blowback is so bad that she actually never looks like this after this one video. Now, you're going to say, well, Silver King, is there any potential redeeming quality of this entire thing? The only thing I can think of is if they do it similar to what they are supposed to be doing with Zaya Lee on SmackDown, even though Zaya made one appearance and we haven't seen her since. If the idea is that Siray is an anime character, and I do not watch anime, I don't know anything about anime, but from a very poor man's understanding of it, or having seen like people who like it or clips on Reddit or wherever, it seems like a lot of characters in anime are like Japanese schoolgirls who become warriors or are transformed in some way. Or, you know, I don't even, I, I honestly don't get it. I'm really talking out of my ass here. The only way this is saved is if that's what they're doing. Like they're, they're showing her like this one time or two times as this is like her origin. And then the medallion, the necklace transforms her into this warrior of the sun or something like that. And that is the gimmick that she has. It's not the schoolgirl; it's the other thing. If that's the goal and people are over, myself included, are overreacting just to seeing her in, in this outfit one time, then I will admit that on the podcast. I'll say, hey, that's not what they were doing. They were actually just using it as part of a device to change your character. And then that would be acceptable to me. It would, it would be fitting within Japanese culture, similar to how people got all outraged. My, I didn't. I don't think I got outraged, but I was off, put off by it a little bit when Asuka and Kyrie Sane debuted the name Kabuki Warriors. Everyone was like, oh my God, what a racist name that WWE chose. And then it came out that Asuka and Kyrie literally chose it themselves. And I think they originally wanted to call themselves the Kabuki Girls or the Kabuki Princesses. And WWE said, no, that that's problematic. Let's make it Warriors. And they had a, I thought it was a really cool tag team name. And people, once they realized that the actual wrestlers came up with it themselves, they said, oh, well, maybe it's not offensive, right? That's that's the way people react to WWE these days. If the wrestlers came up with it, it's okay. If WWE comes up with it, it automatically has to be bad. That's the mentality people have. So again, I can only go off of what I saw on television. What I saw on television to me looked very stereotypical and angered me. And obviously you already heard me explain why. But if it is just a simple device and it's, within Japanese pop culture to do this, which I don't know that it is, but if it is, then maybe it can be understood. But I don't want to give any credit because credit generally is not due, you know, off the bat. You kind of have to earn it. And WWE, you know, especially given some of their other big mistakes recently, Dewdrop uh, being one of them, the Gunther situation, WWE is not without fault in the Gunther situation. It's just not as blatant as a lot of people think uh, or seem to think. Here, again, they don't get the benefit of the doubt, but maybe they ultimately will if it turns out that it's people overreacting. I'm not going to know until they actually show Saray on TV more. Uh, Joe Gacy told Harland they could have been in the Dusty Cup, but their mistake was an opportunity. Odyssey Jones, who had a knee brace and crutches, it was reported he hurt his knee, called them out for being hypocrites. He said he'd be sidelined a couple of weeks with that knee injury. Later, Jones was shown screaming with Harland holding a dented crutch. I presume the idea is that Harland attacked Odyssey Jones made his injury worse, and now he's going to be out longer than a few weeks, probably a couple months. 
I don't know what the injury is. Hopefully it's obviously not a, a ligament and he's able to get back sooner than later. Sola Sokoa revealed a burn on his face from Boa's fireball. I was hoping it had burned his awful hair, but obviously it did not. He said he wanted to go to war with him next week. And this is going to be a false count anywhere match, which makes a ton of sense. I actually think this is a pretty solidly built low card feud. As long as they get a good amount of time, it should be an entertaining match. Dante Chen got a video package explaining that a leg injury took him out of action. In reality, he had to go back to Singapore because unfortunately his dad died, which is of course terrible to hear. Chen said he was going to represent Singapore and make his dad proud. And I thought it was actually a really good promo. Chen fought Guru Raj. One minute into the match, Duke Hudson attacked both men for a no contest. He powerbombed and pummeled Chen, clearly setting up a feud between them. I have no clue why this happened, but I will say Hudson looked good with a shaved head. And I think, let's cross our fingers here. I think he's off of the absolutely terrible poker gimmick. He was wearing all black. He didn't look like a douche like he did previously. So if that's the case, this is all going to be a net positive. And Dante Chen would be a really decent opponent for Hudson to get a win over as he reestablishes himself. So I did think that was pretty decent. Uh, Ulisa Leon and Valentina Feroz got a video package where they spoke in Spanish, Portuguese, and broken English, talking about their real sports accolades in weightlifting and jujitsu. They said their goal is to win the women's tag team titles. Dakota Kai then approached them backstage, talked to herself, and reminded them that success divides friendship. And I like that gimmick that Dakota is doing. Obviously, the stuff with Raquel is very deep in her head, and not just with Raquel, but Tegan Knox before that. Uh, so Kai fought Leon. Uh, Feroz distracted Kai, letting Leon get a shot outside. She also had a fallaway slam with a bridge for a near fall, which was a really cool spot, very inventive. Kai ended up catching Leon with a haluva kick for the win in four minutes. This was acceptable in terms of length, given Kai is a veteran. It's exactly how the KLR match should have ended. Sure, you let the rookie get a little bit of action. In the end, the veteran wins, even with a distraction, even with outside help. Uh, KLR also got a shot on Froze, so I'm assuming that they're going to fight next week. So overall, as far as NXT is concerned, since the last week of December, the, the shows have been really good. Uh, so that show and the first two shows in January 2020, I've all enjoyed those shows. This one, while the main event was great with Walter and Strong, it was completely overshadowed by the controversy surrounding the name. And beyond that, a lot of the booking on the show, so the storylines, Knight and Waller, D'Angelo with Carmelo um, and Cameron Grimes, the storylines are fine. The matches really were not. They were just all bad, except with the exception of the main event. You, nothing you could really sink your teeth into. And like I said with AEW just a moment ago, there is so much happening all the time with NXT. You kind of just wish for one week you wouldn't see someone. Like I'm okay with Joe Gacy and Harland not being on my TV for two weeks and allowing a match to go longer. So stop force feeding as much as you possibly can into two hours. That goes with AEW and with NXT. Allow your talent and allow your storylines to breathe. Give these matches time. And I really can't believe that even with AEW, I'm talking about giving matches time. This was a very odd week for them. With NXT and WWE, you know, short matches is very commonplace. So yeah, again, WWE, AEW, NXT this whole week in wrestling, I was really not happy with the products that we got from all four of those brands. And my hope is certainly with the Royal Rumble coming up, the WWE will take a step in the right direction with their go-home shows from a booking standpoint. And then after that, it's the road to WrestleMania. And they definitely need to be on the ball for that. But again, thin roster, 
Nothing that is too unpredictable, I think, is going to happen. We're going to have to see, I guess, what happens. Whoever wins the Royal Rumble matches, maybe we get some returns. Um, you know, maybe Big E wins the Men's Royal Rumble. That obviously would be exciting. But none of it really feels unpredictable. And what you kind of want is a little bit of unpredictability. Right now, we don't really have that from WWE. Uh, AEW feels very predictable in terms of what matches are going to be on the Revolution card. They're doing a fine job building to it. But again, because their pay-per-views are so far apart, they're starting a little bit too early. NXT, um, man, just stop shooting yourself in the foot, right? Because your product, it had been making some strides. I'm not saying it's great, but NXT, this 2.0, it had made some strides over the last three weeks. And then all of a sudden, two problematic, uh, one name, one gimmick in the same show overshadows some positive developments otherwise throughout the brand. So that's it. It went longer than usual uh, this week, of course, when we break down AEW and NXT. As far as what's ahead on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, be sure to tune back in on Tuesday for our WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview, one of our most listened to shows of the entire year. I want to make sure you guys are on the ball for that. We'll be back on Thursday after that to talk AEW and NXT. On Friday, depending what happens on the Go Home Smackdown ahead of the Royal Rumble, there's a chance we have a bonus podcast. I will let you know whether we're going to on Twitter. All you need to do is follow us at Getting Overcast. If monumental stuff develops, we will do a very quick podcast. If not, on Saturday, as soon as the Royal Rumble goes off the air, we will have the WWE Royal Rumble Instant Analysis Podcast. We'll talk about SmackDown and everything that happened during the 2020 Royal Rumble. One other thing to remind you about, Saturday, before the Royal Rumble begins, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, Getting Over will be back with a special 30-minute pre-show on Twitter Spaces. All you need to do, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and we will tweet a link so that you can get reminded for the special pre-show. And then at 6.30, all you need to do is click on the link. You get to start listening. Uh, we also do fan participation. So after Chris Vanini and I break down the entire Royal Rumble card when it's finalized right ahead of the show, you guys will be able to ask us questions, provide comments. It's a really great communal way to preview a pay-per-view. The show will end at 7 p.m. Eastern Sharp. That way, you can watch the entire pre-show and the entire Royal Rumble as it's intended without breaking into anything. That pre-show again, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, next Saturday, ahead of the Royal Rumble. The only thing left to remind you about before we get out of here is that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Drop the five-star rating on Spotify. We would greatly appreciate it. Like I said, we will be back on Tuesday with the WWE Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview. So I'm only going to leave you at this point with three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.